Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord this evening. We are here once again with the word on Wednesday. And we are in the midst of just a wonderful, wonderful time as we uh, come tonight to 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 bring almost to a conclusion. I think we've got one more week where we will be in the book of First Samuel. I hope you remember that when we started this book, we started and we named this study transition to transformation and tonight when we as we conclude our session one of the things that you will see is you will see a king and how a king responds i believe that we have just really taken just a wonderful journey and before we go any farther let me thank you for for your diligence in study. I think it's, it's, it's so important that we as Christians, that we study to show ourselves approved, workmen not needing to be ashamed as we rightly divide the word of truth. Um, let's, before we review what we've been through already, let's, um, let's spend some time uh, in a word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We thank you, O Master, for all that you have done, for your loving kindness, for how you have have been with us all along the way. We bless you for that, Father. We bless you, Father, because you are good and your mercy endures forever. Now tonight, Father, we have a a request for you. We request in the name of Jesus that you would speak to us, that that you would be with us, that you would go before us and show us the way, that you would lead us into all truth. Oh, God, help us. Oh, God, be with us. Oh, God, stand by us. Thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, tonight, what I, uh, the other thing that I want to do is I want to remind you of why we do what we do. We do what we do because we want to strengthen the body of Christ, and we want to strengthen the body of Christ so we can go out and we can share the gospel. This is not for us to show how smart we are or show that you know we know the Bible or, or argue with anyone or try to force a denomination on anybody. It's none of that kind of stuff. What it is for us is it is us trying to make sure that we are always in a position to share the gospel. That's really what it's all, all about, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we learn how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you that God is pleased. And what we want to do at all times is be pleasing unto God. Uh, we don't we don't want to be in a position where we are, are just uh, sowing to our flesh, and we don't want to be in a position where we are are merely just um, uh, 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 building churches and and and, and or that really aren't churches, but instead 
are, are just gathering a bunch of people unto ourselves and building ourselves a following and building disciples for ourselves. What we really want to do is we really want to obey the command given to us to go and share the gospel, to make disciples for Jesus, baptizing them and teaching them. And what do we teach them? That the kingdom of God is is coming. The kingdom of God is here. And when we say the kingdom of God, we mean the rule of God. So that's what we really want to do, and that God wants to to rule in their hearts. Uh, that's what we do. And so tonight, if you are a new listener, if you are someone who who does not know Jesus, you've never met Jesus, I'm sharing with you that Jesus died for your sins. I'm sharing with you that he, he, that you can give your life to him. You can place your trust in him. You can ask him to save you and that he'll save you, that he'll forgive you your sins, and that you can become a child of God. That's what we want to do. That's what that's what the purpose of everything. The end game. This is our end game. Good evening. How you doing? Um, that's our end game. And now tonight, as we go into to 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 First Samuel, uh, what I want you to do is I want you to see what's been what's been going on over the past weeks, and then I'm going to go right into the scripture. So turn in your Bible. No, turn in your Bible to Psalms one. We're going to turn in your Bible to Psalms 1, and then we're going to, because if I, once I read this Psalms 1, then my job for the rest of the night is, is really, really easy. Turn to Psalm 1, and let me just read this to you. This is one we memorized a long time ago. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And that psalm, that particular psalm, summarizes everything that we have been talking about for the past 10 weeks concerning Saul and David. Saul chooses to go the way of the wicked. David chooses to go the way of the righteous. Saul chooses a wicked path. David chooses a blessed path. And what you see in this psalm is the culmination of the life of Saul and the continuation of the life of David. David's life, as we will see, will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that will bring forth kingdom fruit. Saul's life is like the, the shaft that the wind drives away. Saul lives a life that does not stand in judgment. Saul lives a life that does not allow him to stand in the congregation of the righteous. That's where we're going to wind up at. I, sometimes I like to tell you where we're going before we get there. But now let's turn over to 1 Samuel and... Go to chapter, let's see, where do we want to pick up at? We were in chapter 29. Let's, let's pick up in chapter 29, I believe. That's where we want to go tonight. 
Let's just let God speak to us tonight. I mean, we've seen so much. In 28, in chapter 28, he went and saw the witch of Endor. And that was just, I mean, we, 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 we discussed it. He goes to see this witch because he can't get a word from God. Remember early on where we talked about the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul? The power of God had departed from him. But the presence of God was always available to him, but he never, there is no record of him ever availing himself to go to God. He didn't, he didn't have a lifestyle. He, he never lived the lifestyle of a godly king. There's nothing that our narrator tells us. There's nothing that the Bible records for us that says that Saul stood before the Lord, that Saul sought the Lord. <coughs> Saul sought fame. Saul sought power. Saul sought wealth. But there is never a time when he is seeking God. Saul goes to great lengths to seek out to take the life of David. But there is nothing recorded where he seeks God. But time and time again, what do we see? David inquired of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. David sought the Lord. David went to the Lord. And and that tells you the difference right there between the two of them. Now, last week we when we talked about the, David marching with the Philistines, um what happened? What we found out was David got sent back because the Philistine kings did not trust David, and in particular, I don't know if you were here or not, but there was a reason why they didn't trust David. They had experience with the Israelites in battle. Back in chapter fourteen. The Israelites, when, when Saul was fighting the Philistines after Jonathan had, had, uh, had routed, had, God had delivered Jonathan and he had killed all of the, those 20 Philistine men, him and his armor bearer by themselves, um, it was the Israelites that had enjoined themselves to the Philistines after the Philistines had overrun the area that turned on the Philistines. So now the Philistine lords look up, and there he, they see David and the Israelites marching with them to fight the Israelites, and they say, uh-uh, we've been this route before. We had these jokers in our army last time, and the last time we let them come with us, they turned on us. We're not getting fooled by that again. Oh, no, that won't happen again. It just won't happen. We're not playing around with it. Forget about it. And so they send David back. And that's what we want to pick up at tonight. What happens when David is sent back away from the Philistines? I know one of the things that happens is that he doesn't have to show his hand. He doesn't have to show who he really is. And so God protected him from that. But then, and, and you know, you never see... You never, and one of the things that you need to learn tonight is sometimes, even when you don't know God is working in your life, sometimes when you can't see the hand of God, it does not mean that God is not working in your life. God is always working for us. God is always involved in our life. It, because we don't see it doesn't mean that it's not happening. And here is an instance where God intervenes in the life of David to make sure that David uh, does not have to show his hand right away. Because had he marched in, I am confident, although the Bible does not support me, but based upon David's love for God and David's love for his people, I believe that had he gone to battle with the Philistines, he would have revealed himself as one who would, would, would fight the battles of the Lord. 
against the enemies of God, and the Philistines were the enemies of God. So I think he would have turned on them, and he would, he would have gotten victory there. He would have gotten victory. But God said, no, i got something else for you. I've got something else for you that I, I want you to do. So he sets up that conflict amongst the Philistines. David is sent home. And this is where I want to pick up at, right here. Um, in, uh, in, in 30. Now, uh, here, let me read 2911, and then that way I can flow right into it. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taking captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. So, while David is up north, and it, it seems like it's a three-day journey that they had been on, because it took them three days to get back. While David was north, going north to fight against uh, with the, to fight with the Philistines against Israel, the Amalekites attacked from the south, and they took down the this the, the village that or the city that had been assigned to David by Achish, the king of the Philistine of of Gath rather, and what they did was the Amalekites were retaliating for what David had been doing all along. They knew, the Amalekites knew that the Philistines would be gone. The Amalekites knew that David would be marching with them. So they took the opportunity to hit back at David because David had been going through southern Judah, and he had been, and uh, uh, excuse me, he, he had been going to uh, south of Judah, and he had been destroying the people, all the peoples that occupied the land that God had allocated to Judah under Joshua. And so what he was doing was he was doing what Joshua hadn't finished, and that was he was wiping out the enemies of God. So in doing that, um, David is called away to march with, as we said before, he's called away to march with uh, the Philistines, and while he's away, the Amalekites come in, and they take his wives, they take his children, they take all of the stuff that belongs to David and his men. So they return, not home, to rejoice about the fact that, hey, we, don't have to, we didn't have to fight. But they turn and they find that everything that they had was gone. And let's pick up right there. And when David and his men came to the city, I'm at verse 3, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and his people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been captive, had been had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Imagine coming back to, to your home and finding everything that you own burned. And finding your children now and, and, and your wives all gone or your husbands gone, taken captive. 
And you know they took them captive because had they killed them, you would have been able to find their bones somewhere. But they were taken captive. How would you feel? And these are not just any men. These are men who have been with David for years all through the wilderness. These are men that have have not only wandered the wilderness with him, but walked into a dangerous place with him when they walked in to Gath. They followed David. They trusted David. They believed in David. And now David has led them to the point of destruction. And they are saddened. They, they are... These, these, these grown, strong, fighting men are sitting there, and it says they cried till they couldn't cry no more. And then afterwards, and you know how it is when you're mad and when you're upset, they started pointing the finger at David. And they said, David, if we hadn't been following David, I, we still have our stuff. I still have my wife. I still have my kids. And they began to think, we ought to get rid of him because he's a bad leader. But look at that verse, that that verse, uh, the end of verse 6, I believe it is. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Contrast that. First of all, what does it mean to, to, to strengthen yourself in the Lord? There's a word that's used there, and, and, and the Hebrew word used there is he hazaked himself. He stirred himself up. He stirred up the memory of God within him. He reminded himself of God. He didn't concentrate on the trouble in front of him, but instead he concentrated on on the God within him. He encouraged himself in the Lord. What does it mean to encourage yourself in the Lord? Well, he remembered God in the midst of his trouble. And that's a point that I want you to make tonight, because I understand that there, there might be some of you out there who, who are having trouble. There might be some of you out there who are in a bad way. There might be some of you out there who are, are under attack, who are afflicted, who there's something wrong in your body, there's something wrong in your home, there's been destruction all around you. But I came to tell you tonight that you, like David, must encourage yourself in the Lord. Now, what does it mean to encourage yourself? You need to remember God in the time of your trouble. You see, because I know that this is not the first time you face trouble. This might be the biggest trouble that you've ever faced, but I am positive that God has met you in a time of trouble. When you, before you got saved, you were in trouble. And God sent his son to meet you and take you and pick you up out of that miry clay. After you got saved, perhaps it was a bill that you couldn't pay, but God intervened and said, I'm your provision, and he showed himself on your behalf. There might have been a time when you were being overwhelmed, and God stepped in. In and said, I'm your protector, I'm your shield, I'm your exceeding great reward. And now what God says is, in your trouble right now, you need to remember me. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I'm the same God. 
that met you down in that miry clay. I'm the same God that pulled you out of that ditch. I'm the same God that washed you in my blood. I'm the same God that has given you salvation. I'm the same God that said you can go through fire, you can go through flood, but I will always be with you. That's me. And so even in your trouble, even in David's trouble, he remembered God. And he encouraged himself. And you can, even right now, wherever you are, you can say, God, I know you. Oh, hallelujah. I know you. I know your character and I know your love. I know your faithfulness. I know that you'll always be with me. I know that you'll never leave me nor forsake me. I know that even though I'm facing this trial and tribulation, that you're in control of it. You are God and God alone, and you have ordained me to be in this place so you can show yourself strong on my behalf. And so what did he do? What does David do? Come on, let, let, go, get back to the scripture before I, I start preaching. I'm trying to teach and not preach tonight. And David said, you see, when you encourage yourself in the Lord, you go looking for the Lord. <clears throat> you go looking to hear, look, look, God, you got to say so. I know you got some say so, and you got to say something about this. So what does David do? Look at, look at verse 7. And David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord. I remember a long time ago there was this song um, sang by uh, the Thompson Community Singers. And uh, the singer was a little lady that I just loved. Her name was Ethel Holloway. And Ethel Holloway was, was starting the song, Make No Difference What the Problem. I can go to God in prayer. And the man or woman who is walking after God, who is not walking after sinners and scornful and scoffers, he can go to God in prayer. And that's the difference between Saul and David. Saul, who has been walking with the wicked, has no connection to God, and when he tries to connect himself to God, there is no answer from the Lord. But David, who is a man after God's own heart, who is walking the path of righteousness, can go and inquire of the Lord. In all of his trouble with the men all around him talking about stone, stoning him, he looks up and says, Abiathar, bring me the ephod. Abiathar, it's time to pray. In your hour of distress and trouble, I came to tell you, O saint of God, that it's time for you to pray. It is time for you to inquire of the Lord. Stop looking at the situation. Stop looking at the circumstances. Stop listening to what folks are saying they want to do to you. Stop thinking about what could happen to you and get down on your knees and go before the Lord in prayer. And so David inquires of the Lord. Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And you know what I love about God? When you ask God a question, when you have that connection with God, and you're connected to him, you are connected to him. You are connected to him. How am I connected to you? Child of God, you are connected to him because you came from God. God made you. God claimed you. And God will speak to his children. And now, let me say this. God speaks in many ways. Sometimes it's that small, still voice that you hear in a place on the inside. Other times you you prayed about something and you're and, and you're in your word and he'll speak to you from his written word. 
some other times you, you, you go and God will use an individual to speak to you. And still other times, he'll speak to you through the very circumstances that you are in. I know oftentimes when I'm praying and I go out in my yard or I go out in my garden, God will show me something through the animals around me, or he'll show me something and teach me something and speak to me through the plants that I'm, I'm trying to grow. But God will answer your prayers if you shut up and sit still and listen. He will answer when you expect an answer. Sometimes we throw up, you know, as you say, sometimes we throw up a prayer and then just keep on going because we, we, we don't wait for God to say anything. We answer it ourselves because we don't pray in faith and we don't pray with expectation. And we have to learn that when we pray, we, ha- we pray by faith with expectation. So he answered him, and he says, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and and shall surely rescue. David gets his answer from God, and his answer is, Go get him and get your stuff back. You, You will be successful. That's a word for you tonight. That's a word for me tonight. And so what does David do? So David set out. When God speaks to you and tells you and gives you his word, it is his word and it does not return void but accomplishes its purpose. The only thing that's standing between you and 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 and, and having the word of God accomplished in your life is you. The only thing standing between you and the word being fulfilled in your life, the word of God, the word that God has said to you, the word that God has revealed to you is you. It ain't the devil, it's you. Because when you get a word from God to re- and have received it, then you have to make that word come to pass by walking in it by faith, by obeying what God says by faith, by trusting what God says by faith. You see, and if you fail to do that, guess what? You got nothing coming. I know, let me just share something with you. God is, is challenging me on certain fronts and giving me some things, um, blessing me with some things. I mean, just truly blessing me with some things. And I'm trying to, to walk within the blessing that he has given me. The problem is, is that, that there is a, sometimes a spirit of procrastination that overwhelms me and I wind up not walking, not pursuing the blessing that God has given to me. And I'm going to tell you something, and I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me. I believe what God has told me, but I'm walking too slow. I'm moving too slow. And I'm complicating the thing by overthinking it. And so rather than just doing and walking in, I'm sitting up here saying, now, how is this going to work? Now, what I, uh, uh, so if I do this right here, then what I, what's going to happen over there? No, you got to get, what, you got to get beyond all that. What you've got to do is you just got to go in and do what the Lord said do. And what we have to do is do what the Lord said do, obey God and just pursue, run hard after it. Go back to the scripture, Winfrey. So David set out, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men. Let me read that again. So David set out. I'm at verse 9. And the reason why I'm reading it again is because um, I'm holding, um, it seems like my glass is acting funny on me or something. I want to make sure I read it right. 
So David set out, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men. 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. So now remember, they had marched for three days to get back to to uh, uh, um, a Ziklag, and then immediately they left Ziklag, and they are now pursuing the Amalekites who had burned their village and took their their, their families and their possessions. When you pursue somebody, you're not going at a leisurely pace. You double time. So imagine this, these men who had already had this long three-day journey, all of a sudden just grab their spears and whatever, and they start jogging. They're literally jogging. They're literally running. They're moving double time as they pursue the enemy. They're expending themselves, and they're literally running on adrenaline. Well, if you've ever run any kind of race, you know that you get to a point where you just run out. And 200 of the men ran out. And so they were left behind. Verse 11, they found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread, and he ate. They gave him water to drink. And they gave him a piece of, of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, to whom do you belong? Now, so what happened was they came upon a dying man. This man has been left out in the open country or the desert for three days and three nights with nothing to eat, nothing to drink. He's been left to die. He's been cast aside. I'll show you how this works. And so they see him. He's an Egyptian, and they nurse him to help. And then after they nurse him to help, he begins to speak. He says, and David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? He said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because I was sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negev of the Cherethites and against that which belonged to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. So he identifies these, this Amalekite raiding party who have literally been going through the land and destroying villages and taking from people and killing from people, and in particular, he identifies that they took Ziklag. So they, Ziklag now is up in Philistine territory. So they weren't discriminating as to where they go. But he also identified, identified uh, the, one of the cities that belonged to Judah, namely, um, it says, the Negev of Caleb. And then he says, and we burn Ziklag too. Now, he's telling them where these raiders have been, but then he says, he says, and David said to him, will you take me down to this band? And he said, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to the band. What do you see here? What do you see here? You see God leading and guiding. God takes this Egyptian boy who has been cast off and turns him into a guide for David. Now, David doesn't know where these folks are at. He just he knows that they're out there somewhere, and so he, he's, he's trying to track them down. And God says, you know what? I got a guy waiting for you. I got somebody waiting to serve you, to bring you to that point, to bring you 
to that place of victory that I have already prepared for you. What did I tell you, David? Didn't I tell you to pursue because you would recover everything? What's God saying to you tonight? What promise did God give you? Look at the provision that he gives you right now. Keep going. And when he had taken him down, I'm at verse, uh, what's it say, 16 or 18. Let me pull this closer so I can see what I'm reading. Verse 16. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Watch this. Watch this. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken And David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. Excuse me. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. What did God tell him? He said, you will recover all. Now, sometimes when we talk about miracles, we forget to list this as one of the miracles of God. He recovers his wives. No, let me say it differently. They recovered their wives. They recovered their children, their sons, and their daughters. What we fail to see is that oftentimes when people were captured, especially by the Amalekites, that these people, first of all, were killed. If they weren't killed, they were enslaved. And sometimes the daughters would be raped the sons, if they had any kind of strength, they would be maimed. They would, you know, do stuff like cut them in certain ways so they could keep them subdued and enslaved. They could have got their eyes put out or maybe they could have, you know, like they did certain, and at one point with certain kings, they would cut their thumbs and their, their big toes off so they could never regain their balance and never hold a sword to fight against the enemy, they would could have been crippled in some way that would have made them ineffective for service. But what do we read here? David recovered all. Oh, wow. Isn't that a blessing from God? So you're looking at your circumstance. God's told you you are going to recover all. Is he telling you that you're going to recover completely your health? Is he telling you that you will completely recover your wealth? Is he telling you to pursue because he wants you to completely recover your walk in God because something has happened where you walked away or you strayed away or something? Is he saying, look, come here. I want you to pursue holiness. You're going to recover this thing that you are going through. This is just temporary. I'm getting getting ready to lead you out of this. Is that what he's saying? Do you have the faith to believe him? Do you have the faith? Are you so after God's heart that you can say, you know what, God, I'm going after this thing. Uh, Not only did did you notice that did David have to go after, but he had to fight. 
And it wasn't one of those 10-second fights because it says they fought from twilight until the evening of the next day. They started early, early, and they fought all day long. You're in the middle of your fight right now and recovering some things. Don't quit. Don't quit until you get it all. Don't get halfway there in your recovery and then just quit and say, okay, that's good enough. No. He said recover all. Recover all. Get it all. Don't get a devil nothing. Now, I want to show you something real quick. David had been put in a situation to fulfill the will of the Lord. I know what you're thinking. What? David was placed in a situation to fulfill the will of the Lord. Remember what God said about the Amalekites, he says, I'm going to utterly destroy them. Remember that? Remember that way back in uh, uh, Exodus? Remember that when he says, because of what they did to y'all, I'm utterly destroy them. Write this down because I'm going to let you know I'm getting rid of these Amalekites. Remember the assignment of Saul? Concerning the Amalekites, when he says, I want you to wipe them out completely, and Saul didn't do what the Lord told him to do. And now we have David, who has been placed in a situation where the Amalekites attacked him, and God gave him the occasion to fulfill his word by allowing David to go and destroy these Amalekites. Now, they're not completely destroyed because 400 of them get away. But that's not the end of David and the Amalekites. You'll see the end of the Amalekites later on if you journey with me through Second Samuel. And I, I, I'm... I, we will go into Second Samuel. I already know we're going to Second Samuel after we finish this because the story is not complete. God uses us in the place that we are if we respond by faith. God uses us. He uses us in our trouble. He uses us in our distress. He uses us when we think we're down. We must learn to understand we who, who follow after God, who, who place God in the center of our life, that these trials and tribulations that you are going through have been awarded to you, and a faith response brings God glory because we are allowed to participate in his plan. Ooh, that's rich right there. So while you are suffering right now and suffering for righteousness' sake, as the Bible teaches us, God is using you to advance his agenda. The problem that we have in Christendom is that we only want to advance our own personal agendas and God is saying, no, if you are my servant, then you will advance my agenda. Your goal is not to make yourself look good, but to bring God glory. And in suffering, we bring him glory. Look, let me just let me throw, let me throw a couple of things at you real quick so we can fin before we finish this chapter. When Paul is spreading the gospel and winds up taking a beating and getting thrown in jail. The Philippian jailer, you know that story. At midnight, he sang 
praises to God. And God was so glorified that he opened the jail and allowed the witness of the gospel to be received by the Philippian jailer and his household. Jesus, on the cross, allows God's plan to go forth through him, even though they beat him and they nailed him and all that other kind of stuff that I just don't even like to think about sometimes. God was glorified. The Bible says it pleased God to bruise him. The Bible teaches us for the joy of it all, he endured the cross. Why? Because it brought God glory. So those of us who are in difficult situations, when we go along and respond by faith, God gets the glory. God is revealed through our suffering. And I know nobody wants to suffer, but sometimes we're called to suffer. And the faith response in suffering to continuing to go go along with God's program and walk with him by faith allows God to be glorified. Saul wanted to glorify himself. Saul said, look, I don't want to die. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Me, 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 me. And I wonder how many of us is on this me tip instead of dying to self. He says, if any man would follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's rich right there. And the difference between the behavior of a carnal man like Saul and the behavior of a godly man like David is the choice that you make in your time of trouble. Will you respond in faith and remember God and go to God in prayer, receive the instruction of God, and then by faith do what he says? Or will you in your flesh choose to go and to a witch to try to attempt to manipulate the situation, which is what witchcraft is, trying to manipulate a spiritual happening. That's what that's all witchcraft is, is manipulation and, re, and rebellion against the word of God. Will you try to manipulate your way to something by operating in your flesh or Will you say, you know what, though you slay me, yet will I trust you? Though it look like I'm going down, God, I'm going down with you. Though it look like I'm about to go in this fiery furnace, my testimony is that you're still able, God, and that you'll do it. I ain't turning my back on you. I'm, going, I'm, I'm walking in this fire. Will you take it for God? Or try to do it for yourself. Let's keep going. Verse 21. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Bezor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and has given into our hands the band that came against us. Who, should li who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. 
they shall share alike. And he made it a statue and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. Stop for a minute. Now what we're seeing is we're seeing David coming to the beginning of David coming into his kingship. First of all, he makes a righteous ruling. Now, when he talk about these wicked and evil fellows, what he's talking about is people who are not following the way of the Lord. They're not following the word of the Lord. They're specifically not following the law of the Lord. Because the law says that you should love your neighbor as yourself. You should treat them like they want to be treated. And these people are not wicked. They are acting evil and wicked in their decision-making process. Hear it again. They are acting wickedly in their decision-making process because they are not following the way of the Lord. And David says, he tells them all, no, first of all, you did, even though they didn't go, you didn't get the victory. God gave us the victory. And so he realigns their thinking because sometimes we think we did all that. I did this. No, you didn't. God did that. Secondly, because God gave it to us, then we should share it like it's supposed to be shared. That's the first thing that he does to show that he's a godly leader. The second thing that he does is this. When David came, go to verse uh, 26. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel, in Ramoth, of the Negev, in Jatir, in er in Sipmoth, in Eshtama, in Rocco, in the cities of the Jeremelites, Jeremelites, in the cities of the Kenites, in Hormah, in Borsan, in Atach, in Hebron, for all of the places where David and his men had roamed. Now, so everywhere that he had ever been in Judah, he sends out a present to them. He's doing two things. He's saying, thank you for your past hospitalities. And secondly, he's beginning to unite the, the, the tribes of Judah, the cities of southern Judah, to coalesce around him because soon David will walk into his promise So David makes wise decisions. He makes wise decisions, and he's showing that as a man of God, that in walking within the word, that he is going to be a, a man of wisdom. He's already proven himself time and time again as a warrior. Now he's proving himself to be wise. Remember that shepherd boy that we started back with many, many chapters ago? Remember that little guy that, that would go out and fight, that would go out and fight for God? That, that little guy that was out there with the sheep? Look at the transformation that he goes to from shepherd boy to the anointed king. The transition to his transformation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we see that when we follow you, that you will make us into what you want us to be, that you are conforming us as we follow the word into the very image of Christ. Scripture teaches us we know not what we shall be, but we shall be like him. And we thank you, O oh God, that as we follow your word, that you are changing us, that you are transforming us into your very image. Oh, how we bless you and we thank you for your word.
Thank you for the life of David that illustrates what you are doing in us. Oh, how we praise you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, until next week, uh, this has been the Word on Wednesday. This has been Pastor Winfred Burns of Word, Worship, and Witness Ministries saying the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' amen, amen, and amen. God bless you, and thank you for hanging out with me tonight. See you next week when we will conclude our study in 1 Samuel. Amen. Be blessed now. Bye-bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.